situations, things, teams, organizations, you name it, what exists that have some kind of impact on your heart or your affections. Think about that for like two seconds. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Good job. You thought about it, okay? These things often have an impact on our peace. They have an impact on our joy. They have an impact on our hope and our love. These are all our Advent themes. Um, Today is peace, Um, and they have an impact on your sense of belonging. They have an impact on your purpose, Um, and they have an impact on just the direction that we go with our lives. They have an impact on everything, the things that we love and have affection for, the things that we um, pay homage to, the the things that we submit our lives to. They have control um, over who we are as a person. They form us. I found that I inherently, I, I move towards things that I move towards. That sounds silly, but hear me out, okay? I know it sounds silly, but think about it. First, we are attracted to something. Something seems um, good. Something seems um, pretty or like I want to be a part of that. Okay, we're attracted to something. Or we're forced to be attracted to something. We're forced to be a part of something. We get interested. So we keep moving towards it more. We keep moving towards it to understand it more. Moving towards it to enjoy it more. Moving towards it to be more a part of that. Moving towards it to be more like that. You can, that can be a person. That can be, these are the things that you thought about that you love. We move towards these things. And then we begin to enjoy it. We become, we become to become like it. We start to have affection toward it. And it starts to form us. It controls your, controls your joy. It controls your longings. It controls your mood day to day. It even controls how we live our lives. It, it, we, we recru- and I see this pattern in so many ways in my life and things that I love, things that I care about. And, and I can't help but think that it's because we're made to be that way. We're made to move toward things. We're made to move toward things and for those things to impact us, for those things to have some kind of formable um, uh, impact on our lives. We're created to be formable people. We are people that were created to be formed by the things that we are moving towards. To be formed by the things that we pay most homage to. Let me give you an example, okay? And this is kind of a silly example, but, but bear with me through, through the whole thing, okay? So in college, all right, tweaked my back. It was horrible. Hated it. It was the worst, worst couple weeks of my life. Finally, friends of mine dis, uh, convinced me to go to the chiropractor. Went to the chiropractor. They did the whole x-ray thing, told me that I had like a mild something wrong with my back. I don't remember the word. And told me that I needed to come for like six weeks, three days a week, and pay for all those sessions. And I was like, great. I'm going to be healed. And I would go walk over there from work every day, or three days a week, and they'd crack my back, and it felt amazing. And so then I was telling everybody about going to the chiropractor. Like, this is amazing. I've never felt anything like this before. It's healing me. I truly believe it's healing me. This is good for you. And then get through that six-week training, or not training, uh, stretching plan. And then they're like, okay, you need six more weeks where, we, where you come twice a week. I'm like, all right, great. This is sweet. So I paid for six more weeks of chiropractic. And then after that, they tried to tell me, and, I, and while I was in this, I was, trying to, I was kind of picking up that this is a sham. I was like, this, they are scamming me. I'm not telling, and there might be a chiropractor in here today, and I'm not telling you that your, that your job is a sham, but I'm telling you this place, they scammed me because then they tried to get me to sign up for six more weeks, and it just ended up being horrible. And then this, I was, I, I was like moving towards chiropractic medicine. I was telling people like, this is what you ought to do. You need to go to chiropractic medicine. And I truly believed in my heart of hearts that this is the best thing for me. And then when I found out that they were ruining my finances, ruining my bank, and that my wife could just crack my back, you know, I was just floored. 
I was, I was in shambles. I found out the chiropractic medicine for me was, was a sham, and the way, that they, they, um, the way that they use it on me was a sham, and the way that I gave myself to it proved to be not beneficial, ultimately. It proved to be not beneficial for my, um, my, my spirit, proved to be not beneficial for the, the, the amount that I committed to, proved to be not beneficial for my bank account. And I, I share that example with you to show you guys that sometimes we move towards things and we put a lot into things and we, and we, we, they, we let them control our, our thoughts, we let them control our spirit, and they end up putting us to shambles and we end up falling. They end up being not good for us in the long run. This can happen with chiropractic medicine. This can happen with sports teams if you like the Broncos. This can happen with music. TV shows, and even ourselves. We can look at ourselves, and, and we can make ourselves our center of our world. We can t- constantly be moving towards ourselves, like, like making us the center of our universe, doing everything to make sure that we're comfortable and happy, and, and we have the right, all the right stuff. We, we eat only the best food. We only, we only do the things that are most convenient for our life and our schedules. Um, and we can do this with anything. We can make anything the center of our universe that ultimately is going to not end up to be good. This is idolization. Idolization is image worship or divine honor paid to something that is not God. St. Augustine or Augustine, depending on who you are, famously said that the essence of sin is disordered love. Saying that disordered love means that we often love less important things more and more important things less than we ought to. And this wrong prioritization leads to unhappiness and disorder in our lives and a lack and absence of peace. Now, I'll tell you that this passage that we're going to read today is not specifically about peace, but this passage is about a topic and is a message to people that was written about reordering their loves. That's the true essence of the message, reordering their love and reordering their worship and reordering what they move towards they truly give their lives to and how to move towards it. Today we're talking about worship. Your peace is a byproduct of what you are worshiping. And so I want to submit to you today that we are people that are created to worship and created to be formed by that worship. And if we get what it is we are worshiping jumbled up, the peace that the Christmas story, the peace that God ushered in, in becoming a human and, and, bringing, and ushering in the kingdom of God, the peace that that promises will drift away if we do not get our, loves, our love ordered correctly towards our God. And so if you would, take a moment, like we usually do, take a moment to pray to yourself that the word of God will speak to us today, um, and, I will, and then I will pray, and then we'll jump into Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So just take a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it um, is alive and active in our lives and um, that it is still um, good for teaching and rebuking and and leading us to your love, Father. I pray this morning as we come to your word, um, we can submit our lives to you, that we can see Jesus, see you, Jesus, for who you are, for who you truly are, and be drawn um, 
enjoy to worship you, God, to submit our lives to you, and to redirect our loves unto you. Holy, Holy Spirit, we love you, and um, we pray these things in um, Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, follow along with me. Um, it'll be on the screen or in your Bible if you want to pull your Bible out. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So we're in this, in this uh, series of stories. We're digging into the stories of people um, in, the, in the Christmas story. We're, we're, you know, last week, um, Derek, right? Derek is the name? Yeah. He talked about, uh, starts with a Z, <laughs> Zechariah. I, I always say Zacchaeus, but it is Zechariah. He talked about Zechariah, um, and that was wonderful. And this week, we are talking about the wise men. This this passage talks about the wise men. It uses their journey. Um, it talks about their journey. Um, and there's a lot of interesting stuff. It's, you know, we talk about the three wise men. That's something that we hear in art and history, but that's not, it doesn't say anything about three wise men in the passage. We see something about a star. We see something about these daily bobs he's given them. Um, we, like we, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this passage. Um, but my friends, I want to submit to you that this passage isn't about the wise men. It's about Jesus. In verse 2, we're told this when they, it says they're looking for the one that is born king of the Jews. In this passage, we're told about a journey to find Jesus and people's response to him. And in this passage, we are revealed three truths about who Jesus is and what he's done, two warnings for his people, and one response. So that's our breakdown today as we walk through this passage. It's three truths, two warnings, and one response to what God is saying in Matthew chapter 2. So our first truth the first thing that we see in verse 2, saying where, he, where is he who has been born king of the Jews, is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He's the long-awaited Messiah. And what does that mean, that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah, the Savior, the King? Um, the Old Testament is riddled with prophecies and types and anti-types and, and, and messages about the King that is to come that will, that will bring peace, that will bring joy, that will, that will unite all nations under his name, that will usher in the kingdom of God, that will end the reign of darkness. There's prophecies riddled throughout the Old Testament. And their question here, the wise man's question is, where is he who's been born King of the Jews? And now, this is significant, okay? So somewhere in the world, somewhere in the U.S., there is a baby that will be the president someday in 35, 40, 50 years, okay? They're not, we're not going and looking for that baby. 
Someday he'll reveal himself, all right? So that's not a big, not a big deal, okay? This isn't what they're looking for. They're not just looking for someone who's going to be their political leader someday. They're looking for the long-awaited king that has been prophesied for thousands of years before them and through their scripture, the word of God that they have read. So they're searching for the Messiah. Messiah means the long-awaited God-anointed ruler who would overcome all other rule and bring in the end of history and establish the kingdom of God. Okay, so he's ushering in the kingdom of God. This is what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, and we also see that Herod, King Herod here, he asks the scribes, and we'll, and we'll jump into who he is later on, don't, don't worry. He asks the scribes where he is at and where, and they quote Micah chapter 5. And in the same passage, in Micah chapter 5, we can also see who he is. So he asks where he is, and the scribes know where he is. But in that same passage, we can also see who he is. In Micah 5, 2, it says his origin is from antiquity meaning he is from the beginning of the beginning. He has always been around from ancient times. And it continues on. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace. So Jesus was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem, and he was prophesied to be the king to shepherd God's people, the king to usher in God's true kingdom that will overthrow any other kingdom. Kingdom that will not pass away. And so this is so important. And here's why. Let's try, and here's just one more level of understanding of what it meant that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was coming to usher in the kingdom of God. Okay? So at this time, there hadn't been a fresh word from God, a fresh word from a prophet for 500 years. So the, the God's people were in darkness. It was dark. They hadn't heard a fresh word from God forever. Um, it was, it, they, people, the people of God were under oppressive rule of Rome. The people of God were dividing into factions, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees. The Pharisees are like an uber-religious group. The Sadducees, also uber-religious, but in a different way. Um, the Essenes, people that just kind of retreated and were like, we're getting out of here. The Zealots, they were violent. The, God's people were just were f- fractioning left and right and it was, they were under oppression. It was, it was horrible. And so the nation of Israel, God's people were ready. They were in darkness. They were ready to have their Messiah come and save them from what, it was, hap- what was happening to their faith and to their community. It was dark. And so remembering for us, this also applies to us. Okay? So we, we, we obviously, we're not Jewish. Maybe, maybe some of you are of Jewish descent. But we are not Jews from the first century, and we are not um, part of Jerusalem. We're not a part of um, the kingdom of Israel, um, but we are God's people. And so this, this fact that Jesus came and ushered in light, the fact that Jesus came in and, and destroyed the darkness of, of, of silence, destroyed the darkness of um, political unrest, uh, destroyed the darkness of the factions that were happening in the community of God, this applies directly to us now. Too. Jesus is your Messiah now. He wasn't just the Messiah in the first century. He came then, but his Messiahship applies to us now. And so Jesus came to save you from your darkness now. This isn't just of the past. We look into the past to see that it happened. This really happened, this historical event, but it applies to us now. Remembering that the light of Christ came in the darkness gives us hope that God can still pour light into our lives and cleanse us of the darkness that lives inside of us, personally and around us. God is the, the Messiah, the Savior from darkness right now, people. And so that is the first truth that we need to rest on in this passage and let, us draw, and, and let it draw us to worship, is that Jesus is our Messiah. 
He's our Savior. So he's the long-awaited Messiah, the light that destroys the darkness, and that leads us to our next truth, is that Jesus is to be worshipped by all people. Okay? So the wise men, let's jump into them. This is what the story is all about, I guess. It's the wise men. Um, there's lots of funny art out there of the wise men. There's three of them. They wear funny clothes. They rode on camels. They um, sometimes are refer- referred to as three kings, um, referred to as the magi. Um, magi and wise men, that's the, the different translations in different Bibles. So you might have magi in your Bible. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, theories on who these people really are. And I want to encourage you that the plain things are the main things in this passage. I'm not saying that that's a, a, a generality of the whole Bible. We need to dig into Scripture to understand fully um, its impact on our life and our faith. But here, I promise you, the main things are the, the, the plain things are the main things. Mix them up. They are foreigners coming from the east, a far journey. They made a, a far journey. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, they arrived from the east in Jerusalem. And though we don't know for sure, they're, they're at least smart people. They're called wise men or magi. Um, so, the, and, and historically, they're not understood as astrologers as we know astrology. They're not understood as astronomers as, you, as we understand astronomy. But we kind of understand them as uh, uh, pagan believers or, or pagan believers that believe that the stars had some kind of bearing on our lives, that the stars meant something um, for the way that we lived and, and meant something for history and meant something for, for the future. Matthew was writing the book of Matthew, writing the gospel of Matthew. Written to, he wrote to the Jews about the kingdom of God to call them out of religiosity and to call them into relationship with Jesus and, and to, ch- to show the Jewish people that God's kingdom is now expanded. It's not just for you. It's not just for the Jews. The God, that God's kingdom is for everybody. And so who the wise men are is a little important um, to, to know because the, that they are outside of God's people, okay? But we don't really need to know where they came from. They came from the east, from a far journey to find Jesus, and they were led by God to find him. And so Jesus being the Messiah opens the door for all of us, for all people to be worshipped, or to, to worship him, not to be worshipped. Don't, don't be worshipped. He opened the door for us because we're not a part of the, the tribe of Israel. He opened the door for all people. So because of Jesus, we can worship him joyfully. We can move towards him. We can be formed by Jesus. We can experience all that Jesus has for us, all that God has for us because of Jesus, because of his ushering in of the kingdom that knows no boundaries. So, so the second truth is that Jesus is to be worshiped by all people. And the third is that God defies what we can understand to lead people to Jesus. And this is in the star. God's goal is that Jesus is known and worshiped in all things. And in this story, he takes control of the cosmos to lead these people far from God to him. It doesn't say that it led them or went before them. It only says that they saw a star in the east and they came to Jerusalem. And how did that star go before them in the little five-mile walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? Um, how, did, how did the star, how do they know to go with the star to, to go to Jerusalem? And I want to tell you again, we don't know. <laughs> That's the fact that God, God did something crazy. God did a miracle. God used, he took control of the cosmos to lead people that were far from God to God. This was his plan then, and he's still doing that now. 
He's still using things that aren't his to lead people to him. I thought someone would have said amen to that. (laughs) But the important thing is not that it was a star or how he changed the star or what the star looked like. The important thing is that God used something that is not supposed to do that. He had to enact upon it to lead people to him. It was something that was being used by God to accomplish his mission. He's still using, doing that today. Inanimate objects being acted upon for a purpose. And it's the same with you, okay? God uses us selfish, broken, nasty uh, people to draw others to him. He's using you to be the star to lead people to Jesus by his power. Not, by any, by, not because you're like a really good person, not because we're like awesome, but because of his power. He uses us today to lead people to his son so that we can live into the second truth that all people can worship God. It is open to all people. So those are the three truths, is that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He's your long-awaited Messiah. He is to be worshiped by all and can be worshiped by all and that God defies what we can understand to lead us to his son. And the next is two warnings that we see in this passage. They, they go to Jerusalem, and they, um, everyone is in an uproar that they're there. So this is why I don't think there were just three, because you don't get a whole city in an uproar by just three people showing up. There's, I think there's a ton of wise men. But they show up to Jerusalem, and, the, and, and King Herod hears that they are there to find the king of the Jews. And so King Herod summons these, uh, the scribes and, and the, um, the chief priests and the, and the people that loved God, the people that, or not, not loved, the people that knew God, the people that knew the word of God super well, the people that were religious people, to find out where they're at and, or where Jesus is at. And they didn't even they didn't skip a beat. They know exactly where he's at. They know the word of God perfectly. They said he is in Bethlehem. Why the heck aren't they going to Bethlehem? If they know God so well, if, they, if, they, if they're so religious, if they, if they know the word of God so well, why, why aren't they joining the wise men? Hey, come on, we'll go with you. The first warning is by their life, by their examples. Do not let life consume you to the point that Christ is nothing to you. They're supposedly the people that know God the best. And they even know where he is. They know where God is. The God that they worship, the God that they've been waiting for to show up in this time of darkness, and they're not going to see him. It's, it, they've, they've missed the point. They've missed the point of, of this whole being God's people thing. They, they know the word. They know how to act right. They, they know all, all the things. But when it comes to actually wanting to be with Jesus, be in front of Jesus, no care. No care at all. It's missing the point. It's like if I were to take Olivia to a movie and told her, we're going to go to this movie, but don't pay attention to the plot. Just count the steps of the main actor the whole time. And then we're going to figure out how many steps he took at the end. What the heck is the point of that? Pay 15 bucks to go see a movie and just count the steps of the actor? That'd be pretty dumb. That's what these people are doing. They've just missed the point of being God's people. And so often we do that. We miss the point by being over-religious, by just focusing like, I am a good person, I go to church, I read my Bible, and that's, that's good. That's, I'm good. We miss the point. God wants you to love him. We miss the point by being political, too political. Yes, our faith is, ought, to affor- ought to inform our voting and ought to inform um, the, the policies that we support, but that's not the point. The point is to love God and to draw other people to love God. We miss the point in so many different ways. 
And this one, it it's, might, might hurt your ears, but by being clicky. You've come to church. You've come and, be, and become a part of the family of God. You found friends. You found community. And then all of a sudden, it just becomes about the community. It becomes about your friends. It becomes about having a safe group of people. Whereas the picture that we see of community in the Bible is about a group of people coming together to worship God and be in turn outward to welcome more people into that. We miss the point. It's not just about friends. It's not just about doing the right things. It's not just about being a morally righteous person. It's not just about influencing our government. It's about loving God. It is very, very, very possible to be good, to know the Bible, etc., and still miss out on what God has for you and the way that God, the joy that God wants you to experience in worshiping Him. So that's the first one: is to not let life consume you to the point that Christ is nothing to you. The second warning is to not be threatened by Jesus. And I don't mean like don't be scared of him. I, I mean, I mean. So King Herod, he was known as Herod the Great, and he actually was a pretty good king. From the history that I've read, he, he uh, canceled taxes for when they were in famine. He was very charitable to people, would give money away. But he, he's good, so he's a good ruler, but he wasn't a good guy. He was like not a pleasant person to be around. Nobody really liked him. They, they were okay with him being king because he did fine things, kind of. But he wasn't a good guy. He was very selfish and very concerned about his kingdom. Very concerned about like, his name and, and him being the everlasting ruler. And we do this... I do this every day. I get caught up in building my own kingdom every day. I get caught up in, in wanting to fuel my own um, desires and, and, fill, and fill my own um, heart with whatever I want every day. Always we are building our own kingdom, wanting what you want, not what God wants. And, and often I find that what Jesus wants for my life threatens what I want for my life. Even accepting the call to stay here at True Life, I had to deny the desires that I, that other desires that I wanted for my life to stick around and be in ministry, because I know that's what Jesus wants, and I know that is the better choice of what Jesus has called on my life. And this is kind of goes back into the disordered loves thing. I love myself. I love power. I want what I want. I'm living my truth, you know? You guys have heard all that. It's a sham. It's a shame. Because the joy that we can experience, the peace that we can experience that's available to us is only available by giving away our kingdom, by laying down our kingdom for Christ's kingdom to overcome our hearts. So don't be consumed by life to the point that Christ is nothing and don't be threatened by Jesus and submit to him. Those are the two warnings. Like I said, three truths, two warnings, one response, and we've been saying it all morning, it's worship. It is laying down for God. And we see it in four fourfold ways in this passage. The first is admitting authority. They call him the king of the Jews at the very beginning, acknowledging God for who he, who he truly is, starting with, God, you are my king. God, you are my Lord. Acknowledging who he is. The second is falling on their knees, submission. You are high, I am low. By admitting authority, vocally and with our lives and with our gifts and by falling to our knees and submitting to him. I got bad knees, so I don't fall to my knees a lot, but you know what I'm saying? The, actually submitting my life to God. The third is the joyful acceptance of these things. Verse 10, I just love this. 
It says, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. In other translations, it's they, re- they rejoiced exceedingly. What was that joy all about? Like, well, it's not just like happiness. It's like, this is exceeding joyful, the, joy, the joyous joy there is. <laughs> they were on their way to the Messiah. They were almost there. And I cannot avoid this idea that true worship is not just describing authority and submitting to him. We're not just being obedient. That is the beginning. But it's doing it joyfully. It's finding our muse in him. It's finding our true purpose in him. It's finding what it is that we're actually longing for in moving towards all these other things that we move towards. Chiropractor, the Raiders, I said it. <laughs> Music, whatever, whatever it is that you put in that place, whatever we're looking for, we find it when we truly give that submission over to God. It's, be, it's doing it because you have come to see something about Christ that is so desirable that being near to him to ascribe authority and being near to him, to submit to him, is overwhelmingly the joyous joy you've ever felt. That's not a word, I know. With this joy that we experience in giving ourselves over to Christ, the next part becomes natural. We give our gifts to him. These dealy bobs that they give him. These gifts are not given by, like, for his assistance. These gifts aren't a bribe, like, like they don't need they really, they don't need, I mean, maybe they're poor, they probably need gold, but they don't need frankincense and myrrh. Their, their gifts, gifts are, are intense, they're, they are their intensifiers of their desires for Christ. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When we respond in worship by giving our gifts, whether that be monetarily, you know, we're in live to give right now, or our talents, or our time, or our home, giving the things that God has blessed us with, giving them over to him, they intensify our love for Jesus. When we make our work, we make our talents all a part of what God is doing instead of building our own kingdom, it only increases our love for him. When, when, I first start, when Olivia and I first started giving, it was like, well, I, I could use that money to buy more Taco Bell or, you know, something better than that. I don't know. Go to the chiropractor. Um, but once we started giving, we found that there is an overwhelming sense of joy of, of giving our monetary things away for Jesus. I like a clean house, okay? Opening our home up to have people come eat at our house means that we have to have a messy house sometimes. It means that we have dishes to make. But making those dishes for the sake of the kingdom, I found joy in it. It's like, man, I have all these, all these dirty dishes because I got to bless people. I got to be a part of what God's doing in people's lives. Giving our gifts over to, to God is way, it provides way more peace, joy, love, contentment than giving our gifts to ourselves, than trying to build our kingdom, trying to build our wealth. So this is the fourth part of worship, living our lives sacrificially unto him, doing all things as unto the Lord, living out our true purpose. And I'm going to end with some symbolism here, some beautiful symbolism, and worship team, if you want to come up, this is a good time. Um, I'm not saying this is law, but I am saying it's pretty. Um, these gifts, some people say, are significant in, their, in what they are. So we're, let's break those down. Gold is the gift of a king. Seneca, a Roman philosopher, tells us that in Parthia, it was the custom that no one could ever approach the king without a gift. And gold, the king of metals, is, was the only gift fit for the king. And so... 
giving gold to Jesus is signifying that we are acknowledging him as our king. So acknowledge Jesus as your king with your gifts. Give him the gold. Give him the king of metals. Don't give him your silver or your, your bronze. Give him your gold. Next is the frankincense. It is the gift for a priest. It was in the temple worship and at the temple where they burned frankincense while they were doing um, the, function, the functions of a priest, doing the, the religious things. And a priest is a bridge to God for people. The priest in, in Israel was the, person, the person's access point to God, the person's access point to confession, to teaching. And so Jesus is our priest. We need to give ourselves over to, and allow him to be our high priest Allow him to be our priest, the person that connects us to God. And the last is myrrh. And myrrh is the gift for one who is to die. Jesus, uh, myrrh is, was, a, was used to embalm the bodies of the dead. So I can only imagine Jesus' parents getting this myrrh. I'm like, like, why are you giving me this thing for dead people? It's because Jesus came in this world to die. He lived for us. He lived for men and women, and in the end, he died for them. And he came to give us this life. He died so that we no longer have to bear the weight of sin. He died so that sin no longer condemns us to hell. He died so that we can live into, <laughs> we can live into, into God's arms. We can live for God and be connected to God. She was filling the Spirit. <laughs> so every Sunday we, we, we remember this when we take communion. Now, if you're, if, you're, um, if you're a Christian, we welcome you to take communion. If you're not, um, um, I, I wouldn't take it um, if you're not a Christian. And, uh, but we take, this, we take communion every Sunday to remember that God came to die for us. The, the bread signifies his body broken and his blood, uh, or in the juice signifies his blood spilled out for us. And we remember and we celebrate. And so as you take communion today, Reflect on those truths about Jesus, that he is your Messiah and that we can worship him because he came so that all people can have access to God. And that reflect on the ways that God has defied, God has defied um, reality, God has defied reason to lead you to him. Love you guys a lot and I just pray that um, we can be drawn to worship Jesus more fully by the example of the wise men. We pray for you. Jesus, we do thank you um, for your sacrifice. Um, right now, we're in a season where we get to remember your birth and we get to um, enjoy the pictures of, of baby Jesus and um, just you being in this world. Um, just a beautiful picture, God. And so we thank you for your beautiful plan of saving us. We thank you for coming to this world and living for us and giving us an example and then God dying for us, dying a sinner's death, and then resurrecting and giving us power through your power over death, Father. We love you, and again, God, um, draw us to worship you um, more deeper. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.